Well, this morning, we're going to explore the theme of love and some of what the Bible tells us about God's love for us, for the world around us. But I want to start just by exploring, when I, when, when I use that word love, what immediately comes to mind? For some of us, it might be the romantic kind of love where it's filled with skipped heartbeats and flowers and whatever else comes with that kind of thing. Uh, you can tell I'm a skeptic on that kind of thing already, can't you? <laughs> you know this kind of love that Disney has put on such a high pedestal that people seek for it and can't attain it and then think that they're getting something counterfeit? Yeah, that kind of love. I, I, when I'm talking about love, I'm not talking about that kind of love. And this is where it gets tricky because we're, we're heading into now language and territory where our words and our experience begin to struggle to truly communicate what God's kind of love is like. So I want to read firstly from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I think these are very important verses because when we talk about love, we're, we're given the luxury of being given a detailed description of what love looks like. And that helps somebody like me who's a bit of a cynic. Um, one of my friends used to nickname me the Vulcan because I didn't have any emotion apparently. Um, to me emotions are things to be repressed and you just nothing can go wrong if you do that, you see. Never a story of it all just exploding and going wrong. But this gives us a, de a description of what love is, an understanding of what it looks like when it's lived out in the midst of of people. That is a good understanding to me because love is never something internal. It's meant to be something external, something that's displayed and lived and acted. So I want to read the verses from 1 Corinthians just to set a bit of context to what we, what we think of when we use the word love. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And, I have, and if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now you've probably have heard those verses at weddings. In fact, I used them at my wedding because they are very good verses. And I was at the Baptist Union conference, not conference, pre-accredited conference for the ministers last week. And one of the things somebody was saying to me was, they're sick of hearing these verses now. Because at every single wedding they're at, here are those verses. Yet, these verses are so important. 
these verses contain actually such great challenge because all the virtues that we will pin Christianity on, in fact, even if someone here could move mountains, but if there wasn't love, it doesn't mean anything. Now, I can guarantee if somebody was able to move mountains, we would all be thoroughly impressed and asking them about their great faith. But behind it has to be love. And there has to be love because the Bible kind of makes this the big theme. Consistently, Jesus speaks about love. Paul speaks about love. James speaks about love. And there is this important place on this trait. And that's why I'm really keen when we first begin speaking about it that we actually understand the kind of love that we're speaking about. It's not the romantic kind of love. Something very different. It's a love that acts and displays the kind of attributes that 1 Corinthians speaks of. But behind all this for me has to be an understanding of do we believe we are loved by God? The Bible tells us we love because he first loved us. For me, that means that our capability of expressing the kind of love that God wants us to express to others is built on our understanding of the kind of love that God has expressed to us. So I wonder, as we sit here this morning in an everly, increasingly warm room, apparently, I don't feel heat, so I'm all right. Do you feel loved by God this morning? Do you feel loved by God this morning? And to ask the slightly dangerous question, if you do, why? What foundation is it built on? Is it built on the foundation that you feel you've had a good week? Or because you feel you've ticked certain boxes? What foundation do we build the fact that we believe and stand in the biblical truth of God's love for us. So, three points. The first of these being, God's love is. Now I'm tempted to say big, strong, and all the other things that the children's songs say, but no, just simply, God's love is. At the core of our God is a trinity. A trinity, which the theologians will stick a lot of complicated words on, such as perichoresis and all these different kind of terms, which are theories as to how the trinity works and functions. And ultimately, we can pretty much say most of it's conjecture because we can never be fully certain. But one of the things we can be fully certain of, because the Bible tells us this in First John chapter 4, verse 8, is that God is love. So at the core of God is love. And we know that because the Bible tells us that. And I wonder how often have you heard that phrase, God is love? Ten times? Hundred times? Thousand times? I'm not going to go above that, but it could potentially be above that. But I wonder how many times have you actually really heard it? That God is love. That that 
It's his nature. And how many times have you heard it in such a way that it really impacts your perception of how much you love by him and how much other people are loved by him? The truth is we can struggle to love ourselves. I don't think any of us are unique in that. We can all be very much aware of our flaws. We all grew up with some sort of legacy which means that we can struggle to love ourselves. We all grew up with our insecurities being exploited sometimes. And we become adults with insecurities and difficulties, self-confidence issues. We can struggle to comprehend others loving us. And we can struggle to comprehend God loving us. And this can become the basis for for how we comprehend and understand God's love. And when I say, you think you've had a good week, that can literally be how we assess whether God loves us or not. Whether we think we've ticked enough boxes. Whether we think we've sinned least enough to still be in his merit and approval. And if this is the kind of thinking that we have when it comes to God's love, we've never actually heard and understood the phrase, God is love. Because what that phrase tells us, and what so many other parts of scripture tell us, is that God doesn't love us because we're worthy, or because we're perfect, or because we tick enough boxes, or because we have awesome fashion sense, thankfully for me, or because we have great senses of humour, or for any other reason that we could look at within ourselves. God loves us because we are. Because we're made. God loves us because that is his nature. His view towards the people that he has made. So his view towards you, towards me, is one of love. Not because we're worthy and we're perfect, but simply because God's love is. It's not something we need to earn, and it's not something we need to strive to maintain. God's love is because of who God is, not because we have met a criteria to merit it. It's based on himself and his character. Rick Warren says of God's love, there is nothing you can do that will make God stop loving you. You could try, but you simply couldn't do it. Because his love for you is based upon his character and not anything you do or say or feel. And that is the truth of what we have. When we recognize that the God of Israel, the God revealed in Jesus Christ is the true and living God, we recognize that God is a God who loves us. Not because we deserve it, but because that is his nature. So those times when we feel this is something that we have to earn, or something somehow that we need to put effort to maintain because God is losing interest in us. 
These, think, these thoughts are wrong. They don't recognize who God has revealed himself to be. We are secure in his love. In fact, every single person on this earth is loved by him. As Christians, it's slightly different because in Jesus Christ, we have accepted this offer that God has placed before humanity. And we will unpack that in a little bit. But God's love is unmoving. It's unchanging. It's unmeasurable. And it will never waver. We are secure in that. And it's not that kind of Disney love. It's a unmoving love, a paternal love that will never change. Not for you, not for me. Not for your next door neighbour. Not for any human being that was, that is, and that is to come in the future. So God's love is. And God's love acts. One of the most famous verses in the Bible captures this brilliantly. John 3.16 Who here couldn't recite this verse off by heart? I remember going into the, te- the tent mission when I became a Christian and this verse was plastered absolutely everywhere. And I'd seen the phrase 3.16 I knew that there was something significant about 3.16 but my perception of it was from the wrestling and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Austin 3.16 not from John 3.16 I had no idea what that was. But when I saw that verse, my goodness, it blew me away. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel captured in a verse. But what this verse tells us is that God's love acts. He does something. God's love for every human being, for you, for me, for everyone else, acted. God sent his son into the world. The son willingly came into the world. And it was done because of life, because of love. It's the difficulty when you're reading one word and saying another. Because he loves people. What did Jesus do when he was here? He didn't come through the clouds, destroy those that were displeasing him. He came, firstly, as a child, a baby, born. He lived in the midst of people. Then he was baptized and he taught. And he upset some people, showed many others the truth, but always had his face set towards Jerusalem, for there he knew what was awaiting him, a cross. And he knew that he didn't have to go through with that. He could call out to his father and his father would send a legion of angels and it would be over. Quite what the angels would do, I'm not entirely sure. But there was always that possibility that Jesus could say, no, 
not going through with this. But he didn't. He laid down his life freely of his own choice to offer salvation to every person on this earth. And he did it because he loves. God's love acts. And this, as I was reflecting on, well, what is the significance of this? Other than the extremely obvious, there was comfort in this for me. Because you know, we, we live in a world that is increasingly hostile to Christianity for a multitude of different reasons, depending on which region of the earth you're in. In our country, we have the rise of various different bodies of people that can pose us problems. The, the rise of the militant secular society is one of the ones which is causing Christians a fair bit of difficulty. I know even down in Leslie, not long after I moved, they started a Youth Alpha course in the school, which was amazing. Only lasted a couple of weeks before the Scottish Secular Society put a complaint in and it was stopped. There are people that are opposing Christianity. We have, of course, the, the, the rise of the, the, I think, to use the phrase evangelical atheist movement would probably be about right. Um, a movement which is keen on spreading its message and freeing people as they would see it from the hang-ups of bygone religions. And of course, we've got characters like Richard Dawkins and co. who head that up. So there are people, forces, ideologies at play in our country which are hostile to the God that we know is love. And it's a comfort then to know that one of the things that God's love does is means that he reaches out. And that for these folks, regardless of how hostile they might be, they are loved. And that God is reaching out to them as well. One of the things, of course, he then asks us to do is to be praying for these folks. For they are loved by God as well. And of course, you can go further afield and you, you see things like ISIS and the brutality that exists in this rather peculiar manifestation of extremism. You see the horrific things that they do. We know that there has been extermination of Christian communities, genocide committed by these people. We know that they throw people off the top of buildings merely for being accused of various different crimes. We know that even children have been either crucified or beheaded simply because they belong to Christian communities. We see these ripples that impact other regions such as France and various other parts of the world which have been impacted by Islamic State. And we could wonder, well, what on earth are we going to do about that? Once again, there is hope because God's love acts. God's love reaches out. God's love is at work in these regions. There are so many stories of people that have been part of ISIS that have had either visions or dreams. And in these, 
they encounter Jesus Christ and come to salvation. God's love acts. And we pray that that continues to do so. We are secure in God's love. It's never something we need to earn or maintain, not as Christians. And non-Christians also are loved by our God and he is reaching out to them. He will use us to reach out to them and calls upon us to be praying as well. God loves every single person. We needn't doubt it or fall into the trap of believing it's based on something that's within us. But we hold on to the biblical truth that God is love. And because of that, every person, including you, including me, is loved. But God's love, it acts. But God's love saves as well. God's love reaches with purpose. John 3.16 tells us the same, God so loved his world that he sent his son. He sent his son to lay down his life that whosoever believes. God's love acts and God's love saves. And God's love saves from what we call sin. That which we do that we know we shouldn't do that separates us from God. Separates us from one another and leaves a hole in our lives. So I do believe, and there's many people that have said this throughout history, that somewhere within us we recognise that something is amiss. That a relationship or something, sometimes we might not even discern it as a relationship, isn't quite in line with where it should be. And we, we, we try to rectify this on the ease and dissatisfaction with a multitude of different things. We can use money. It doesn't actually last for long. We could use work. Again, we'll not be satisfied. Consumption of different forms. Again, it will be fleeting. The thing is, the world will tell us that these are the kind of things we're here for. We're here to work, which is partly true. We are here to work. If you don't work, you're not going to really have any income. You're going to have problems. But it's not our identity or the true meaning of our existence. Our economy tells us we're here to consume because if we don't consume, well, then our economy has a problem because it's built on consumption. And we do. There are things we have to consume. If you don't eat, for instance, you're going to encounter problems pretty quickly. So we need to go to shops and buy food. We need to buy clothes, cars, all these different things. So there is an element that we do need to consume stuff. But that's not our identity either. I remember going back, I'm not even going to try and do the math of how many years ago it was, but I remember just before I became a Christian, one of the things that I had was obsessive-compulsive disorder. Now this is 
a very bizarre condition and what my thing was switches in the gaslight so for instance it would take me about two and a half hours to get to bed from switching everything off to do my double checking to the pilot light was a big thing for me discovering I could see the pilot light was a huge downfall because I was convinced it was going to go out and I would check it and I would check it and I would check it and this whole routine and then when I finally got to bed there would then be the issue of having to get back up and do the whole process again. I don't know how many hours of sleep I got at night, but it wasn't very many. It was broken. And I remember well, there was one night I fell asleep and then I woke up and there was this voice in my head, go and check the living room. I'm thinking, no, this is just the nonsense in my head, but it got stronger and stronger and stronger. So in the end, I went through and checked the living room. And lo and behold, the living room was stinking of gas. And the pilot light was still on. And the heating was set to kick in at 8 o'clock that morning. The heating would have kicked in at 8 o'clock in that morning. But boy, oh boy, it would have been very effective. Because it would have blown the house up. There had been a pipe that had severed. But there was still enough gas getting through to keep the pilot light on. And I remember that this, of course had a profound impact on me. Thankfully, my OCD didn't get any worse. I don't know if it could have actually got any worse. But one of the deep feelings I had at that time was that there was a relationship that needed fixing. I didn't know which relationship it was, but I just knew there was one. And at that time, I threw, my, threw myself into my relationship with my then-girlfriend, and that just was completely disastrous. It made everything a hundred times worse. But not long after that, was when I encountered God and when I went into that tent mission the penny finally dropped and I understood that relationship that needed to be fixed and that was it I believe we all have that feeling to some degree or another whether we're conscious of it or whether we're not I was very conscious of it after that little encounter with the gas Something amiss. The great news is that God's love saves. And Ephesians captures this brilliantly. And it says in chapter 2 verse 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God's love reached out. And made us alive through Christ. Reconciled us to himself. God's love acted in a decisive way. Reaching out and offering salvation to people. Jesus came, lived and made this way for people's sin to be removed. That division that separates us from God that could never be bridged by any other mechanism. Fixed, restored, reconciled with the one that made us and made us to have a relationship with him. That was done through God's mercy and love. He made us alive together with Christ. We needn't doubt God's love. Not for you. Not for me. 
I strongly urge if there's nothing else you get from this, just take that. God is love and his love is unchanging. You are loved. You are loved to the extent that the Father would send the Son. To the extent that the Son would choose to leave heaven and all the perfection that is there. Come to earth. Be born as a baby. And head towards that death on a cross. But you're loved that much. That much. That Jesus would do that and create this offer. The world is loved that much. We don't need to doubt God's love, not for us, not for our awkward work colleagues, because I'm sure we have some of those, not for our neighbours, not for the secular societies, not for ISIS. God loves. That doesn't mean he's always happy with everything that's being done. Of course, that's not true. But God's love is God's love acts and God's love saves. So take hold of the truth that you're loved. Let that truth then flow through to how your neighbours are loved, your friends are loved and everyone around you is loved. Take hold of what it says in 1 Corinthians about what real love is and let the fact that we love because he first loved us transform how we see ourselves and one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you above all that your love for us isn't based on our merit or ability to earn it. But it is based upon your nature. Lord, you are perfect. And we thank you for your great love that has meant ultimately that we know you as our Abba Father, as our Lord and Saviour. But we know too, Lord, that this love with which you have showered upon us is equally true, Lord, for others. Help us, Lord, to see people as you do. To continue to grow in Christ so that we love others and ourselves the way that you do. Help us not to be filled with doubts, be they based on insecurities or experiences or anything else, but to take hold of what the Bible says, that you are love and that your view towards us is one where we are loved. And to allow that to transform us in our love for others. Lord, we could never be transformed enough in our understanding of this love. So we're never going to reach perfection. But continue, Lord, to deepen our understanding of your love. So that it changes how we see others and how we see ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together to sing our closing song, which summarizes this, how deep the Father's 